are you smiling today? Is Jesus in your heart today? Really? All right. Well, then you're ready for me. Good. That's really good. You know, I didn't see the children's story in the bulletin, but thank you so much for that children's story. So I was actually going to tell a children's story. You guys want to hear it? You don't mind? Okay. So you get a treat today. Two children's stories for the price of one. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Well, this happened a long, long, long time ago when I was going to college. Um, oh, man, that was back in the 80s. Anyway, so I was sitting there one day at home. I got ill, and uh, I, I said, man, I, I, I hate it when I get sick. And I, I decided I had to stay home at least one day out, out of going to college at cooking school, just one day. And then the next day I should feel fine. Well, I can't sit home and I'm just too antsy. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I know I'm sick and all, and I'll be really careful. I'm going to make cinnamon rolls for my family. How many of you like cinnamon rolls? Only half of you? Oh my goodness. I better change my story. No. <laughs> cinnamon rolls. So I said, man, this is great. So I got all the ingredients together and I got it in the bowl and I kneaded it and the dough was perfect and you touch it and it came back and it was all real pretty and everything. And then I looked at the recipe and then I looked at the dough and I said, oh my goodness, I forgot to put the eggs in it. I can't believe it. Oh my goodness. I was upset. Right next to our house was a fence and across that fence was a pasture. And they had grass growing about this high. There was no cows or cattle of any kind. So I got the door and I went, and I heard it hit the grass way in there. So I came back in the house, got all my ingredients together, and I mixed that dough, and I kneaded that dough, and I got it, and it was crumbly, it was lumpy, it didn't rise, it didn't come back. And I was like, what is wrong with this dough? I looked at the recipe, and I looked at the dough, and I looked at the recipe, and you know what? The second time I did it, I forgot the eggs. The first time I did it was correct. So I got on my boots, hopped over the fence, looked through the grass, and looked through the grass, and looked through the grass, and I found a lump of dough growing in the grass. I picked up the dough, pulled all the grass off, took it back in the house, and I rolled it out with the cinnamon and sugar, and I swirled it and cut it, let it raise, and I popped it in the oven, came out perfect. And my family came home, said, you got to try these, then I'll tell you a story. So they ate the cinnamon rolls and said, this is the best. And I said, let me tell you the story. And they laughed, and they laughed, and they laughed. Just goes to show you, you never know what you can do out of a tragedy, amen? <laughs> now, I didn't make cinnamon rolls for potluck today, so you don't have to worry, all right? I promise these... What I made for potluck ain't cinnamon rolls, so you don't have to worry. Anyway, that was my little children's story, and you don't have to worry about cinnamon rolls today. Anyway, uh, before we get started, I need to lift up the name of the Lord. Amen? So let's just do a couple of songs, because I just got to do a couple of songs. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Come on now. Power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Let's hit it now. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. 
of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us, save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. Dear Lord, thank you so much this morning that we can lift your name on high, that we can praise you, sing praises of what you have done for us, what you are doing in us, and what will you do even after we leave here today. Lord, may we be blessed. May we be encouraged. May we be nourished. And may, after we leave this service today, be empowered to do the donkey's work. Amen. Now, you probably read your bulletin and wondering, like, wait a minute. What do you mean, the good donkey? Some of you might be thinking, well, is he going to talk about that donkey story where the donkey talked back to the preacher? Nope. Wrong donkey story. This donkey story I have is the donkey in the Good Samaritan story. But I'm going to get to that later. Now, a lot of people think of the Good Samaritan, right? That, good, that was a good story, right? It's a great story. And we all love to hear the story of the Good Samaritan. What does it all mean? Well, here I got a couple of Good Samaritan stories that I'd like to share with you that I pulled off of the internet. One cold Sunday morning in 1965, when I was a theological student and preaching 30 miles north of my college, my fiancé and I were traveling on my Honda motorcycle. We were inadequately attired for this particularly cold morning, and suddenly my bike ran out of gas on the way to go preach. Could you imagine that, brothers and sisters? So we stood at the side of the road, shaking with cold and not sure what to do. Suddenly, a passing car stopped just past us. The driver got out and popped his trunk, took out a gallon of gas, and poured it into my tank without saying a single word. And he got back to his car, put the tank in, and drove away without saying anything. We stood there with our mouths, just like that, and stunned with gratitude. To this day, we're tempted to think that was an angel. Amen? The good neighbors, years ago, when my husband had been made poor, lost his work, I was pregnant with our second child, and our daughter was 10 months old. We were on welfare, and for the first time in our lives, even the baby milk was free, and our mortgage was being paid by the government. Well, a bus used to drop off people right outside our house, and a lady got off the bus and came down the driveway with two bags of groceries for us. She said, she's hoped I didn't mind that she'd heard our troubles from some of the neighbors and had bought us 
some chicken and fresh cream and cakes and biscuits and vegetables to help us out. And I stood on top of the doorstep and cried at her kindness. I offered to pay, but she wouldn't hear of it. And she said, I'd have the opportunity to do the same for some other person, someone else someday, when our fortunes took a turn for the better. Well, I've done the same more than once, and I've never forgot the stranger, stranger who knocked at my door with free groceries for me and my family in our time of need. Amen? Amen. Is that a good story? Well, when I was 18, 27 years ago, this is a story, a long time ago, I was on my way back home from college carrying heavy, heavy books when I slipped on some black ice. Anybody know what black ice is? Oh man, that can be dangerous. Well, I slipped on black ice uh, and I fell. I, bandaged, I banged my face on the cement bus stop post and chunks of glass from my glasses went into my right eye. Can you believe that? The bus driver waited for me to board the bus. My face felt numb and blood trickled down my face onto the floor of the bus. I had no idea my face was so badly cut and I was on the verge of losing an eye. I didn't even get immediate medical attention. All the passengers on the bus were marvelous. Some of them handed me tissue. A lady on the bus came over to ask me if I was okay. Feeling rather embarrassed, I told her that I was just fine. Can you imagine? I'm fine with blood coming out of your face. Anyway, the bus driver stopped and the bus next bus stop was radioed for an ambulance for me. The lady who asked me if I was okay went to the hospital with me and stayed with me until my family members came to get me. And the bus driver rang the hospital and inquired about my condition. Could you imagine that? The bus driver calling the hospital. How's she doing? When was the last time that happened? I am pleased to say that after intense surgery and visits to uh, the eye hospital near where I live, I still have sight in my right eye and I just have a large scar to remind me. Sadly, my mother and I have never did get to thank the good Samaritan lady who left me her name, address, and telephone number. When we went round to thank her, she had already immigrated to Canada. I will always be grateful to her. Is that some great stories? I got a couple more to tell you, but before we get into that, listen. The Good Samaritan story, we've heard it for years and years and years. And what has it taught us over all these years? Well, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was hearing a brother, Jesse Seibel. Everybody know Jesse Seibel from the conference? He was actually doing the men's retreat down uh, in Kona, the Kona men's retreat. So we sat there and we listened and he talked about the Good Samaritan story. And one thing he said that just got me spinning one direction. And I said, that's, that's um, incredible. That is just so incredible. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Next thing you know, Brother Washington calls me up and says, Marshall, you got a speaking invitation to come to Honoka. And right there, I said, I got my sermon. The Lord gave me my sermon before I got the offer. Could you imagine that? Praise the Lord. Let's all turn right now to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 has this wonderful story starting. If you look in Luke chapter 10, and you, you know there's, there's titles in the middle of your chapters, titles here, titles there. It says the Good Samaritan story 
Well, it doesn't start right away with the Good Samaritan story. There's a story before the story. How many of you like the story before the story? You ever heard that show? Now, the rest of the story. Yeah? You've heard that before? That is amazing. I love those things. Well, Paul Harvey, long time ago. Well, let's look at Luke 10, starting verse 25. Everybody there? Say amen. amen. All right. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test and saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Number one, how many of you can inherit eternal life? Is somebody going to will it to you? Is that, that's what an inheritance is, isn't it? Well, let me tell you a story about something like that. Long time ago, there was a, there was a story of a, a servant in this huge mansion. This mansion was just humongous. And this servant was there hand and foot for the master who lived in that mansion. For years and years, he had served this master. Well, over time, he was getting old, and finally he had passed away. Well, the, the people of the estate said, well, we're going to have a huge estate auction. So they invited some people in. The, they had put an announcement out that we're going to have a big auction at this estate. So people arrived, and they got in this huge living room area with chairs, just like, uh, like kind of how you're sitting today. And then a person came up to do the auction. Okay, And they had all these old artifacts and grandfather clocks and everything you could imagine that would be in a mansion. Well, the first thing up for bid was this painting. And he unveiled the painting and it says, at this time we're going to auction off this painting right here. This painting right here. He didn't mention anything about the painting. He just said, this painting is for the first thing on the auction. Do I have a bid out there? Now, the painting wasn't very good. It wasn't very nice. It wasn't kind of good at all. All the buyers out there are kind of like squirming in their seats like, uh, I, I, do I hear, hear 10,000, 9,000, 500? And he kept going down and down and he says, and finally, way, way, way back, way, way back, the in audience was the servant standing back there in the back of the room. And he says, I'll take it. I'll buy it. And he says, sold for $100. Great. So he came up front and he says, and now our auction is done. All the people in the audience were like, what? And he says, this painting that you see right here was actually done by the master of this house. And my instructions were, whoever purchased this painting gets the entire estate. How is that? Now, is that an inheritance? Well, that's what God has for you and me, sisters and brothers. A mansion built for us. And if we just look, I mean, if we look at the cross, for instance, and we see that blood and scorn and all the things that happened, it's like, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. But guess what? That's the only way to get the mansion. That's the only way to get the inheritance that Jesus has for you. But that kind of inheritance comes not at a cost because who paid that price? Absolutely. We don't have to do anything for that. So this guy, this lawyer, had no idea what he was talking about. He thought this was something that could be 
purchased one day and willed to somebody else. He was looking for an inheritance. Well, you can't inherit eternal life, folks. There is no way that it's going to happen. Never. Because you couldn't afford it. There's nothing in this world. There's not enough money in this world, gold in this world, silver in this world, that can afford you eternal life. That had to be bought by the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's continue with the story. In verse 26, he said to him, Well, Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Well, number 27, verse 27, he says, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. At this point, we should just have the benediction and go home and do it, right? Wouldn't that be great if that's it? If we just follow that right there? He said, that's all, that's what, that's what it takes. Jesus said, what did he say next to him? He said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now the lawyer was like, what do you mean live? I was asking for eternal life. Well, that's, now, had anybody experienced eternal life yet? Well, maybe Enoch. Maybe Elijah, right? They're experiencing eternal life right now. Uh, Moses, right? We know they're experiencing eternal life right now. So yes, it has happened before. And they said, all right, we know these guys went up there. How can I inherit that? How can I do that? Well, what did those guys have to do to get it? I want some of that. That's kind of what the lawyer was looking for. The, the, the fix, the key, the, the, the potion, the, the magical whatever to make eternal life happen. Well, Jesus wasn't going to make it that easy for him to grasp. In fact, he decided to tell a story. And it goes like this. In, the story simply goes like this. In verse 29, it says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, love your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? What, what was he asking? What was the lawyer asking? Was he asking about eternal life anymore? No, his emphasis had changed to the real question he had. The real question he had was, do I really need to love everyone with all your mind, heart, and soul, and strength, and your neighbor? Well, uh, wait, 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 wait. You, you, you mean the nice lady across the street that gives me cookies? That's the one, the neighbor, right? Or the people I come to church and I visit every Sabbath, that's my neighbor, right? Or, or where I go to work and sometimes I don't like my boss, but you know what? He, he at least pays me, so that's my neighbor, right? Is, is that my neighbor? Is that what Jesus was aiming at? <laughs> Jesus continues by saying this in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. We're on verse 30. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So here's the picture. Here's a man who had been robbed, stolen from, stripped of everything he had. Everything. Verse 31. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down the road when he saw him pass by on the other side. Now the lawyer is probably going like, what does this have to do with loving your neighbor? So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side too. And this is where the story gets very interesting. He says, but a Samaritan, okay, stop right there, Jesus. <laughs> we don't deal with Samaritans. They're half-breeds. They worship other gods. They, they're just, they're not like us. We don't do anything. That, that, you can't mean, you cannot mean that that's my neighbor, right? That, that, they, they don't even do anything good there in Samaria. How can he be a good Samaritan? So in the, in the lawyer's mind, he was like, whoa, where is this story going? He says that a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion on him. Right there in that one word describes everything that the lawyer had said in the previous verses. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your mind, heart. So that one line, he had compassion, describes everything that the lawyer had stated previously. Amen? That is awesome. Now, 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he set him on his animal. I assume it was a donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, verse 35, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Could you imagine somebody doing that today, like the stories I read? Unbelievable. That bus driver calling back to the hospital, how you doing, is she okay? I mean, when does a bus driver do that? I don't know. All right? Verse 30. Okay, and then verse 36. Which of these three, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed Passed by on the other side? No? The one who said, wait a minute, he's a Samaritan. I can't help those people. They're idol worshipers. Ooh. No? No. The very Samaritan who came and said, the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even say the, the Samaritan. He couldn't even put it out of his lips, the Samaritan. He had to say the one who showed him mercy because that's the only thing that the lawyer could actually say because where was his heart? His heart was still in the first verse saying, I need to inherit this magic potion thingy. I, I need to get this somehow. How do I get it? Just like those guys in the past. And he said, and Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Well, let me reverse back to that. If Jesus is said to do that and go do likewise, my question to you is, what in this story is Jesus saying to do likewise? Well, is it, is it good to be a good Samaritan? Yes or no? Yeah? 
It's good to help people. Yeah? It's good, good to help people, right? I remember one day I was in California driving down, and we had just got to, Fergie and I were, were, were cruising down, and we stopped at a fruit stand, and I got a big bag of oranges. Beautiful, beautiful oranges. Oh, it was like I couldn't wait to crack them open and just have one. So we decided to just go down the road some more, and we pulled off of the highway exit, and as we were exiting to turn to our friend's house, there was a man holding up the sign. He says, I need food. That's all it said. I need food. Please help me. I looked at my wife and I said, we don't need those oranges, do we? And she said, nah, give them away. I wound, took my window down and I handed him the bag of oranges. I said, thank you very much. Have a nice day. And he just looked at the whole bag and he was like, it was a 10-pound bag of oranges. And you know, <laughs> a homeless guy, he probably didn't have anything to put it in. But he's like, he, I just saw him just sitting down and just, <laughs> just starting to eat it right there. He was really hungry. It wasn't like he was going to sell that for something else. He was hungry. The man needed something. Wow. Let me tell you a couple of stories that really, really shocked me. And this is kind of a little twist on the Good Samaritan. A good Samaritan who pushed three people out of a path of a pickup truck before being struck. The guy got struck as he pushed the people out of the way and got injured and gotten a strange reward for his good deed. He got a jaywalking ticket. Huh? A Denver bus driver who helped two elderly women cross a busy street in a snowstorm when he was hit Friday night the state police said that the, despite, despite his intentions, jaywalking contributed to the accident. <laughs> Can you believe? Now in stable condition, suffering a bleeding in his brain, broken bones, and a dislocated shoulder, and possible ruptured spleen, he woke up in intensive care. He learned of his ticket in intensive care. Here's your ticket for jaywalking. Can you believe it? His reaction was dazed and confused. Well, he, he said, I was a little angry, said his stepson. The other man was also cited for jaywalking, and the pickup driver was cited for just careless driving. Story number two, a good Samaritan's beware. California Supreme Court ruled today that a paralyzed woman can sue the friend who pulled her out of the car crashed car. The victim contends that her friend, who feared the car was about to erupt into flames, pulled her out like a rag doll and contributed to her injuries. The court ruled that because the friend was not specifically providing medical care, she is not immune from a lawsuit. What? The th the four to three ruling declared that while no one is obligated to help, at the scene of an emergency, those who do must exercise due care. It also specified that the state's Good Samaritan law protects only those who provide medical attention. Huh? And pulling someone from a car doesn't qualify. Uh, the judges cited that the distinction as far as it was just too weird. It was too narrow. It was unbelievable. But sometimes you can even do a good deed and it can backfire on you. Anybody had that happen to you? 
No? Wow, you're lucky. I remember good deeds backfiring around me. So I'm going to save those. <laughs> so here we go. We have a story of where Jesus is saying about a good Samaritan. Now let's go back in the story just a little bit on the top of the verses where it started in verse 27 where he says, you shall love the Lord with all your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So I took apart that verse a little bit and I thought, okay, you shall love the Lord with all your heart. Well, what is the heart? Part of your heart, God gave you emotions and feelings, didn't he? Aren't you supposed to feel something like compassion? Aren't you supposed to feel something like joy, happiness, kindness, goodness? A lot of people think, oh, you can't have any feelings in church. <laughs> you know what? The fruits of the Spirit has to do with feelings, amen? That's something you feel inside of you and express to people outside of you. If you decide, I'm just going to be love, joy, and peace, and kindness, and just keep it to myself, <laughs> you'll explode. Um, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work. God intended for you to take those fruits of the Spirit, enjoy them, and then sow those seeds, right? Don't we want to do that? Well, how about the soul? Love the Lord God with all your soul. Well, the soul in the Bible describes it as the breath of life. So every word that you say, every breath that you take, those are, should be the words that heal, not hurt. Not, I don't always do that. I'm still trying to follow the, a little bit of it, you know. But I'm trying my best. The Lord, the Holy Spirit is helping all of us, isn't he? If you ask him and allow him to do that. Well, how about with all of this, all your strength? Love the Lord your God with all your strength. Everything that you do, where you go to work, where you go to play, everything that you do, love the Lord with all your strength. And the last one, he says, and love the Lord with all your mind, your intellect, what you deeply believe, your belief system in you. Even that has to be brought to the love of God. Some people say, well, I can intellectually take apart the cross and, and deliberate and do all this. You know what? That's great. You can do that. But unless it's brought through the love of God with love, it ain't going nowhere. You can have all the intellect in the world and never help another soul. That's the truth. So, we claim in the Adventist church that we do have the truth. What are we doing with the truth? Are we taking it, sowing it, and doing what this verse is and that lawyer had spoken? And Jesus even says, you have spoken correctly. But the one that grips it all together is loving your neighbor as yourself. That was the one that he knew that the lawyer would be stumped on. Now, let's, let's talk about the condition of the heart. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. The question I have for you is, what is the condition of the heart? What is the condition of the heart? Let's start in chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. I still hear pages flipping. I'm really bad at speaking and flipping pages. That's why I don't do it up here. I'll be all like taking forever to find a verse. So I wrote it all out for myself. 
It's a lot easier for me. <sighs> All right. Are you there? Yeah. Amen. Let's see what this verse had to say. In 17, verse 9 of Jeremiah the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Lord searches, verse 10, the Lord searches the heart and tests the mind to give every man accordance to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. That all goes back to that Good Samaritan story. All of that. What is your heart? Does your heart have deeds attached to it? Does your heart is according to the fruit? Do you have any fruit, folks? If you say you have the truth and you have no fruit, then you don't have the truth. Amen? Because the truth compels you to move to action. If the truth has stopped you in your tracks from sharing the Lord, hey, I'm guilty of it too. There are times when I should have, would have, could have, and I did not. And the Lord later on slapped me across my psychological brain and said, what are you doing? You had an opportunity right there, Marshall. Has anybody can understand what I'm saying? Right? So, instead of allowing that to happen, I did this one day. <laughs> I don't know what compelled me to do this. I still don't know what compelled me to do this. All I could say was the Holy Spirit. It happened a long time ago. I was at a camp in the mainland called uh, Pine Springs. That's it, in California, in Southern California. Camp Pine Springs. We were invited there. I was, uh, I, I was actually one of the, um, the youth chaperones. And uh, we had a bunch of youth come from Hawaii and were attending this camp. And this camp was a camp that was programmed to help kids have awareness against uh, of coming to God and staying off of uh, drugs and stuff like that. It was an Adventist camp put on. Can you believe that? I've never heard of an Adventist camp focusing on drugs, right? That normally doesn't happen. But this happened way back then. And I said, well, let's go. Well, prior to this camp even happening, only 25 people showed up, and the camp can hold over 500. And so they were about to cancel the entire camp camp but they prayed and prayed and all of a sudden after all of that prayer they said no we're going to do this camp no matter what even if only 25 kids showed up all our speakers we're going to do it for 25 well the day came and we arrived from Hawaii and we came up there with our bus but bus load after bus load after bus load after bus load until over 600 youth showed up to the camp to praise the Lord together and get off of whatever they were on and praise God. Learn how to get help other youth. Well, we were up there and the entire weekend was glorious. On the final night before we were to leave the next day, we came out of the meeting and I was flying high. Spiritually, I was just above the clouds. It was unbelievable. I felt so good. And I stepped outside of that meeting and all of a sudden, my focus went on to this youth girl that I saw standing right there. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit said, Marshall, go up to her right now. I don't know her. I said, no, you got to go up to her right now. She needs somebody. You got to talk to her right now. I'm like, okay. So I was up here, right? 
I said, all right, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it. So I went up to the girl and I said, um, my friends were around me from Hawaii and some of her friends are on there. And I said, excuse me, um, and I, I, don't know, I know I don't know you, um, I'm from Hawaii, and, but I, I just have to uh, come up to you and I got impressed in my mind and my heart to just ask you this simple question. If something happened to you tonight, would you have salvation? Do you know Jesus? She broke down and started crying and crying and crying. And I was like, oh, well, now this guy, I don't know her. I never met her before. It was a youth from another church that came up there with all the rest of the kids. She started crying. And all of a sudden, everybody was like coming around me like, what's going on? We stood there outside of the meeting with about 25 of us, hand in hand, testimonies going around and around and around. And by the time we finished, every single one of those youth gave their heart to the Lord just for me taking the opportunity to listen to the Holy Spirit when he called. Does that happen all the time? No, does not. But it did that time. Guess what? Anybody have Facebook? Facebook? I get a Facebook last month. Hi. I'm sh Remember me, Sharon Gabriel? She showed me the pictures. Yeah, I, we're doing, I'm really doing great. I'm married. I have kids. We're going to church. And, blah, 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 and we're doing this. We're doing that for the Lord. And I'm like, till this day, 20-some years later, she still is serving the Lord and blessing those. Just from one dare to reach out and touch somebody I didn't know I was being used. But let me ask you this. Let me continue on with the story. In verse 14 of Jeremiah 17, verse 14, it continues on after I talked about the deceitful heart. Jeremiah pleads to the Lord and says, Heal me, O God, and I shall be healed. Save me, O Lord, and I shall be saved. You are my praise. Amen? Isn't that encouraging? That after God just told them how deceitful <laughs> and everything was, that Jeremiah was saying, God, I need help. You know, so many times people will point out our condition, and instead of going to the doctor where we may need his services, we said, nah, later. I don't need the doctor right now until it's too late. You know some people like that who just waited too long? And next thing you know, their condition got serious and pretty soon beyond help. Well, spiritually, that can happen with each and every one of us. I'd like to close with one more story. I was on a holiday in Cornwall in August, when while walking in a parking lot with a friend, I felt weird. I was having a cardiac arrest. I literally collapsed and died there on the parking lot at age 47. As my friend was trying to figure out what was happening, a stranger driving out of the parking lot stopped, having seen me lying on the ground and asked my friend if I was okay. The stranger and his passenger got out of the car and came over to me where I was lying. They immediately realized what had happened and took over. They were both consultants of Plymouth A&E Department 
and DeFord Hospital. The driver happened to have the only piece of equipment that could actually bring me back to life, a portable defibrillator in his car. Just so happened, right? After three and a half minutes of being dead, he had me conscious and I was immediately airlifted to a hospital. I later learned of my consultant, for my consultant, that he rang the hospital every day to check on my recovery, the same guy. Apparently, my chances of surviving without the intervention of a stranger and his particular piece of equipment was nil. Since returning home to Bristol, I tracked him down and had an obviously emotional chat with him by phone. It turns out that he is also the chairman of a Southwest charity raising money to provide life-saving equipment to volunteers, hence why he had the defibrillator in his car. This incident with a stranger didn't change my life, it gave me life. Some of you today don't need a change, you need life. Period. Well, Jesus is here to give you life. I'm going to just point out one more thing in this story. I'm going to get out of here. I can hear your stomachs rumbling. There's only one thing that Jesus is one from you. So in this story, I asked you earlier, is it good to be a good Samaritan? She says, of course it is. But what if we're not supposed to be the good Samaritan? Because isn't Jesus the one who stops on the side? Isn't Jesus the one who picks us up and puts the oil of his Holy Spirit and, puts his, and, 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 and pours the wine of his blood upon us to give us life? Isn't he the one who is the good Samaritan? Wait a minute, Jesus cannot be the good Samaritan. Why not? Wasn't Jesus, the good Samaritan despised and rejected by his own people, by their own people? Jesus was the same. Jesus is the Good Samaritan in this story. Oh, I thought that was supposed to be us. The second part. Well, then, um, maybe we're the, on the, we're the guy on the side of the road. Well, here is this guy on the side of the road, a stranger who was walking down from one city to the next, and he got conked on the head, and everything got stolen from him. He had nothing. He got stripped of everything. And after being stripped of everything, he still had nothing. Guess who that represented? The lawyer. The lawyer was the one who's been walking through life, and every single day of his life, he is being stripped and taken from spiritually negative, gone. There is nothing in his life. Zero. Well, if we're not the Samaritan, or we're not the stranger, there's only one person left in the story. Can't be the Levite. <laughs> Those guys just walked on by. And it can't, be the, it can't be the other guy who worked in the church. That guy also walked on by. There's only one other thing in the story that was the donkey. Wait a minute. I don't want to be a donkey. Aren't they kind of like, you know what? I read an article. I was reading the internet about donkey. They're one of the most intelligent of the horses out there. They're actually part of the breed, they're actually part of the horse family, the smallest of the horse family, donkeys are. In fact, they can carry a load up to one-third of their weight. Now, that's, that's heavy. You figure an average donkey weighs up to 500 pounds, it can carry over 200 and plus pounds 
on their back and then things hanging on the side. They're also very emotional creatures. They actually have compassion more than all the other horses and stuff. They, they are like that. And when they sense danger, they won't, they'll stop. That's why, that's why donkeys stop. When they sense there's going to be danger, they will not move. Isn't that amazing? Like that other story where the donkey talked to the guy, right? He won't move. Well, the danger was his soul. That prophet's soul was in trouble. And that donkey straightened him out, used him through the Holy Spirit. Well, in this case, Jesus doesn't ask us to be the good Samaritan because he is the one who heals. He is the one who gives you the blood of life. He is the one who has the Holy Spirit upon you. He doesn't, he's not saying that we're the person dead on the road unless you are that lawyer who always is looking for an easy way out. Somehow, somewhere, i got to get God and eternal life and stuff without, without touching anyone else. I, I just have to be in my own little self and then I can worship the Lord by myself. Don't touch me, right? That's, that's not it. Now, if you are that type of person and you are that type, maybe you are that lawyer. I don't know you. Only God knows you. All God asks you to do is take the people, carry the people, be the donkey. The, the Lord put this man on top of the donkey where he was used to take. God is only asking us to transport the message, not be the message. Do you understand the difference? We are not the message. We are the transporter of the message. And in this case, the donkey. I'm proud to say that I have become a donkey for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Man, I'm so glad we got that cleared up. <laughs> Let us come together. Praise the name of Jesus. All you people of the earth, come and see. Let us come together, praise the name of Jesus. All you people of the earth, come and hear. Joy is like a sunshine raining down upon us. Joy is like a golden crown. Let us come together, praise the name of Jesus. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. Amen. So today... Lord, the message is, be a donkey for God. Carry the message. Don't hold it in. Be compassionate. Have a heart. Take that heart of compassion and sow the seeds. That's all we are to do is carry the message, not be the message, not be perfect, not be the Samaritan even. Because that's too much of a burden, folks. All God asks us to do is carry the message. Can we do that today? Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you so much for the message of hope, the message of praise, the message of life that you have entrusted us to carry. So let us be humble like a donkey and carry that message to whoever needs it. Lord, today, may we have a revival in our own hearts, and our own minds, that we can go out and take this message to the world. And that world might be right in your house. That world may be right in this church. 
That world may be your brother and sister. That world might be your relative who's never heard this before. Lord, give us the strength and the courage to do it. In your precious name we pray, amen.